Welcome, Travelers Blueprint community. I am Elliot Shibley, and here with me, as always, is the adroit Robert Demena. Adroit. What does yeah. that mean? I like this word. I think that may be the first time I've ever used it in a sentence, but adroit means very able or skilled. Oh, well, thank you. I appreciate that. I think it's fitting since you're working on your house this week. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's a learning process for me. I'm not the handiest man in the world, but I might be by the end of it. Yeah. Um, so before we get into the episode, what do we have going on? Right. Yeah. So, so our website has been under construction for some time now. We we have this idea to make it a one stop shop for our fans, you, the listeners, to book trips, to buy travel gear, to uh, download itineraries. And so we have several tabs open now where you can do just that. You can look at backpacks that Elliot and I have used or water bottles that we'd like to carry with us. You can book trips uh, with some of the companies that we've interviewed on this show. And you're going to be able to download itineraries from trips that Elliot and I have taken. So it's everything that we talk about and everything that we do kind of uh, accumulating on our website for you to, to review, download, book, whatever it is that you want to do. Check it out, play around on it, and uh, let us know what you think. Thank you for that, Bob. That's very well said. Um, oh, thank you. So, so before we get into the show today, we're going to give the answer to last week's trivia question, which was with Scott Light. And that question was, uh, what was the book on voodoo in Haiti that Scott recommended? If you had answered Serpent in the, and the Rainbow, Serpent and the Rainbow, you will receive a Traveler's Blueprint sticker. We will send that to you. Um, we'll reach out for your address and, uh, and we'll send it to you. Thank you for participating in that. All right. Our next guest was recommended to us by Matt Waugh of Trek Hoppers. And if you remember, we had a conversation with him about the Inca Trail in Peru. And our guest today is the manager at Loki Boutique Hotel in La Paz, Bolivia. And the topic of conversation focused on the travel highlights of Bolivia, the food, the drinks, the culture, and the overall affordability. So without further introduction, please welcome to the show, Alan Cotter. Welcome to the Traveler's Blueprint. Start designing your next adventure. Alan, welcome to the Traveler's Blueprint podcast. Hi, guys. Nice to be with you. We heard of you through Matt Waugh of Trek Hoppers. We were looking to get some information on Bolivia, which is another South American country, and he highly recommended you. Uh, so you have an envious past that many college graduates would like to follow in. So you were kind of studying, I believe it was bioscience and bioforensics, and you decided to visit Peru for a month. And you ended up staying there a little bit longer. Can you tell us a little bit about your history and how you ended up in Bolivia? Yeah, no worries. Um, so about eight and a half, nine years ago, I was um, <clears throat> two and a half years through my um, four-year degree. And a few friends I was working with in a bar in Cork City had decided to come out to Bolivia, well, between Peru and Bolivia for about six months. So... Um, Having not come this side of the world yet, I decided I'd pop over for a month before returning back to studies. Um, when I arrived here, it was quite obvious that this place was a different world altogether. Uh, not quite like the small little villages of West Cork that I was used to. So um, after meeting the guys, I <coughs> followed up to Cusco in Peru, where we're staying in um, a place called Loki Hostel. And just kind of fell in love with the atmosphere and the people and the vibrancy of it because it's... Um, it's a small little hostel where people from 
all around the world, right in the center of Cusco, which is like the historical capital of, of Peru. And uh, from there, I um, ended up meeting one of the founders and owners, <coughs> Gerard Tirosh, who convinced me to stay on for a while um, to help them out in the bar. So I was a bar manager there for about six months. And afterwards, um, I just got fell in love with the culture, the hostel itself and everything. And once the guys offered me um, a more permanent position, I uprooted and moved everything over here. Yeah, I, I can wholeheartedly relate to falling in love with Peruvian culture and food and Cusco specifically. I think if I were capable of just hitting the road and never turning back, Cusco, would, it might be like number one for me. As far it's as just kind a great of, place to start. Yeah, yeah if sure. I really wanted to just remove myself from Western culture, like I think that would that would probably be the go-to because yeah. it is such a hub of um, people coming through from countries around the world to tour Peru. You have the local culture, which is still thriving. You have great food. You have a good outdoorsy hiking atmosphere. You, it's the city itself is a great little hub. I think especially for expats. Yeah, oh, yeah and you 100%. don't get rid of too many. Too many Western comforts. No, you right, still have right. um, cinemas and, and shops and like fast food joints, but yeah. um, it's very easy to avoid that sort of stuff as well. So it's a great mix of the both. Mm-hmm. And can you tell us a little bit about Loki Hostel and Loki Boutique? Now, did you open up the location in La Paz after you had stayed in Cusco? Um, when I was in Cusco for about five years, there was already um, a Loki Hostel here in La Paz. And um, after about four years there, the guys were changing over location and management. So they asked me to come down and help out. And I jumped at the opportunity. I mean, after almost five years in Cusco, it was a great chance to go see another country and live somewhere else and um, kind of get that um, new feeling in me again. So I came down here and we were just moved over to the new hostel, which is a giant like eight-story building. Uh, about three, four blocks from the bus station, which is um, the general Loki hostel. But we still had the other location um, on contract for a few years. So while we were thinking about what to do, whether we renew it or what we could do, because two of the same style hostel in the same city under the same name might be a bit too much, um, we saw that the market was changing a little bit. <clears throat> and a lot of people were going towards private rooms or or matrimonial rooms instead of the bog standard backpackers um, value dorms and like large dormitories so we decided to open up the boutique being um, only private rooms with a range of different private rooms from a standard matrimonial with shared bathroom matri with shared bathroom deluxe rooms and suites so to give people that kind of a hotel comfort uh, but still keeping as close as possible as hostel prices because um, especially being in Bolivia, it's kind of usually in the middle of people's travels. So you've been on buses, you've been slumming it in dorms. And it's nice to just be able to come into a city and relax and have those kind of like home comforts for, for a while. So um, we opened that up just about um, 13 months ago. And uh, we've been trying to push that forward now. Awesome. And just to give our listeners a little bit of a geography reference, Bolivia is located just east of Peru and to the northeast side of Chile and then the southwest side of Brazil. And La Paz is south, uh, sorry, western central next to Peru. 
Yeah, uh, and unfortunately, it being a landlocked country, there's no access to the sea, so um, your beach vacays are definitely out of the option. But um, <laughs> yeah, it's only about 12-hour bus ride down from Cusco, with um, about half hour of that being the border crossing, which is quite easy. And then you can get from La Paz pretty much to everywhere else in Bolivia. It's like definitely the central hub of the country. And so for a common tour tourist or even backpacker, you know, someone who may find themselves walking through Peru, what would that person anticipate doing in Bolivia? Bolivia's got a bit of everything. As I said, well, apart from the beach, um, we've got the mountains, the jungles, all the different type of tours that you could possibly want. So it ranges from definitely like backpackers to um, full-on uh, complete tours. So you could be paying anything from a few bucks to a few thousand bucks for tours. So it has pretty much everything in there. But um, once you get into La Paz, you got this very easy stuff like the city tour, which you can take like three hours, walk around the whole city. You see all the history of the place, the difference between the um, old <coughs> um, Aymara culture and the Spanish culture and how it split down the city and a lot of history in those tours as well. So in a few hours, you can already fall right in love with all of Bolivia. From then as well, um, you can go to Coroico, which is at the end of what people know as Death Road or the world's most dangerous road, where you can do like a full day biking tour from about $70. <clears throat> and then, of course, from here, you can take buses or flights down to the jungle in Ruanabake, go swim with like purple dolphins, fish with piranhas, go see the monkey islands, or even as far as um, you need to see the salt flats, which is definitely one of the most amazing things you can see in this country. Yeah. I think maybe the world, really. Yeah, yeah most likely. Yeah. Just seeing those photos from other travelers is, <laughs> they're remarkable and they don't look real. No, no. Yeah, so, it's one of those things that the, the photos are so easily taken. I mean, most of the ones I've taken that I have on, on any of my sites or even on Loki's sites, most of them are untouched. They're just taken with a phone or a simple DSLR. And uh, you don't need much editing because you're right out there in the middle of nowhere. It's all natural. So you don't really need to retouch it at all. Now with those salt flats, some of them, they're kind of nestled in the Andes a little bit. Are you able to get a nice sunrise or sunset while you're there? Oh, absolutely. Um, okay. The thing is, once you're out, there's like a few different tours. You can do like the one day tour where you leave early in the morning so you don't really get the sunrise. But um, before you're coming back off the salt flats into a uni, you've got the sunset behind you, which depending, it can like hit a few peaks so you can see the sunset being broken up into the shadow of the sky. And uh, then like the two and three day tours, you have the sunsets and the sunrises. And if you get clear nights with the water reflection, it looks like you're just standing in the middle of a galaxy. Oh, yeah. that sounds yeah. awesome. I've, I've seen pictures where it, I don't, it just looks like it's the perfect conditions to have, you have this beautiful Stargaze. cloudy day. Yeah. Oh, I could, I could imagine stargazing there, but to be able to stand there and then you have this reflection in the water of the sky, it just looks like you're standing in the middle of the air, like, it, like openness. I don't know. It's incredible. The, the, the mind game, some of these pictures can play on you. Yeah. Um, and that was, pretty much the perfect time to visit a uni this time of year because you're kind of coming into wet season so you'll definitely have a load of spaces where you have that perfect kind of mirrored sky and on the floor but um, because it's not too wet you'll still get a few areas of the dry salts where you can take the uh, perspective photos so you have something like a giant dinosaur toy and you're 
10, 20 oh, years yeah. back and it looks like it's trying to eat you. So <laughs> this is the perfect time to go. So you can actually get both of those on the same day. Oh, Interesting. Nice. So right now is the perfect time to go. Okay. Yeah. So I, I'm curious to hear what you have to say on the type of person that should, well, not should, but is, am I right in saying that, that traveling to Bolivia is something that maybe a traveler should do and not someone who's looking to go on a vacation? It just, it seems like there's a lot involved as far as the transportation and it might be a little bit harder for someone who isn't travel savvy to navigate. I could be completely wrong in saying this and, and uh, I'm curious to hear your feedback on that. Um, I think really Bolivia is for everyone. Um, even just in boutique in the last year, we've had everything from 18 year old couples, families with um, toddlers and young kids to 60, 70 year old couples, uh, people that are backpacking through people that have just come down here for a week. So it's, quite accessible now for everything um the one thing is if you are on a time constraint i would suggest looking to do mostly flights because the internal flights are not very expensive they're a lot more secure but um busing the buses can be a bit <coughs> excuse me they can be um a bit more of a pain because uh with the rainy season whatnot they can be delayed a bit they can be cancelled but it's few and far between to be perfectly honest i mean if your bus is an hour or two late, it's not going to ruin your trek or ruin your tour. Um, most of the tour groups are used to this. They've been doing it for years, so they kind of understand how things go. And Bolivia itself has kind of got that uh, natural uh, Latino feel where a time is just a time, you know. So oh, we'll start at 10, means you'll probably start around 10.45. So everything's a bit more relaxed here, not strict to the button. Um, we see people coming through that's literally town hop from the micro buses that go in between other people that have the whole tours and everything planned out for before they go. So here you can literally pick and choose between. It's quite simple for anyone to navigate. Um, the central bus stations, you go in there and they have exactly where you're going and all the prices, the times they're leaving. So even if you don't have a lot of Spanish, it can be very easy to navigate from city to city. And okay. we talked a little bit before the episode started that there's still this kind of stigma of traveling to a third world and maybe even consider Bolivia a second world country. Um, Cause they're not, I actually should maybe even say that I don't know a lot about Bolivia's economics or social status. And, but there is this idea that traveling to Bolivia is not necessarily the safest route because it's not heavily tourist. Um, yeah, there's a lot of stigma against that. It's uh, one of those things that kind of puts a lot of people off traveling. Uh, even the last few years, we hear people saying, okay, we're going to do like Ecuador, Peru, and then go straight to Chile and around to Argentina, and we'll just kind of give Bolivia a miss. But um, the thing is, it's, it's not dangerous if um, you have your head screwed on. I mean... It's like anywhere in, in the world. You're not going to walk around a capital city with a expensive camera hanging off your neck. Uh, you're not going to walk down dark alleys in a place you don't know. But, I mean, walking the streets, <clears throat> taking buses, taxis. I've been here now for about four years. I've never had any problems. I've never even heard of people really having problems. And the best thing is, in La Paz itself, there's all the consulates, the embassies, um, and specifically the uh, British embassy the last years. They've been working very close with the Policia Turistica, the, the tourist police, um, helping them to give them like English lessons, <coughs> to teach them how to 
uh, approach and help out people instead of just having guests or even tourists coming up to ask them questions if they see some sort of a map they're a lot more friendly they're actually going up and offering to help so that stigma yeah maybe if you go back 30 40 years ago it might have been something to worry about but uh it's always one of those things when people see oh it's the cheapest country therefore it must be one of the most dangerous countries <laughs> but um it's nothing like that is it one of the most cheapest countries um in comparison to the countries surrounding us especially like peru um brazil and chile especially in argentina i would say so yes i mean you can go to a um a normal restaurant and probably get a nice meal for two people for about $15 that's three courses with a soda or a drink wow wow and what about lodging like what is a since loki boutique tries to blend being a hostel and a hotel with some privacy what are typical rates um for the boutique for example only being private rooms you go from about 30 to 40 dollars for two people a night. in a private room yeah wow so that wow. includes like um your and that's all the ones with bathrooms you got towels uh, older rooms have um, smart TVs with Netflix, free Wi-Fi, stuff like that. Wow. So when you're looking at private rooms, yeah, it's next to nothing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, especially for, for a Westerner to, to roll through there. Yeah. Wow. So just, I mean, we've only been talking for like 15 minutes now, but it seems from Bob and I's perspective, Bob, I'm going to speak for both of us here, but it, it seems like Bolivia La Paz offers many of the exact same things that Peru offers or Chile offers or Argentina offers at a fraction of the cost. And it may be under like, not, yeah, I would say under touristy. It's not, there's not going to be a lot of tourists there and it may be in the next wave of new destinations. I think it definitely should be. It's one of those things that um, the climate as well is quite fixed. So, you know, the time of year you're going, what you're going to get, um, and as I said, even like basing yourself in La Paz, you can get from here down to do like a three-day salt flats tour and back for less than $300. That's two flights and a three-day tour. For $300? Yeah. Wow. Wow. That's so, unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy when you think the Machu Picchu is going to be just that to get in. And then you've got yeah. trains and everything on the other side. So wow. like it's unbelievable the um, the price of the stuff around here is like, and people are complaining, oh no, that's too expensive, I can get it cheaper. So you can get stuff cheaper than that, but then again, you're going with less known companies, probably maybe less safe, not the same standards, but I mean, that's a middle of the road, fairly good company will get you there and back for like $300. Wow. <laughs> Bolivia right now is coming across to me as, yeah, the place to go if you're looking for an experience that's off the beaten path. If you're still trying to get that, you know, scratch your explorer's uh, itch or see a part of the world that isn't overran by tourists, you haven't seen uploaded a million times to Instagram, you you don't you haven't really read about. It seems like this is an affordable place to be. The infrastructure is in good shape. You don't have to worry about transportation. There are more than enough things to do from the rainforests to the salt flats to the cities. There, there, it really seems like this perfect location for the type of traveler who is looking to explore and maybe fill sort of an adventurous craving. It, yeah. yeah, it's yeah, very absolutely. intriguing to me. It is. 
it, it sneaking up on my uh, places to go next list. Right, right, exactly. So can you, Alan, can you please describe um, maybe the city of La Paz a little bit to us, maybe by comparing it to a city that travelers are maybe more familiar with to kind of give us a, like a verbal or mental picture of what people can expect when they visit the city. All right. Um, well, the thing about La Paz is it's right down in a valley when you're coming off the Altiplano. So um, it's a bit of a shock when you come in, especially on um, if you're flying into La Paz Airport in El Alto. You just see like vast flat lands and all of a sudden cliffside and right down there in the middle of this valley is just houses on top of houses on top of houses that never seem to end. What is the Altiplano? So, Altiplano is like El Alto. So you come out of the valley up uh, through the mountains and it's just like a large flat piece of land um, that brings you up to the Cordillera Mountains. Okay. Okay. So it's um, like a mesa. Yeah, pretty much. But it goes on forever and ever until you start getting up towards Lake Lake Titicaca and then towards the um, Cordillera Mountain and all that. But um, once you come down into the city, you see just um, quite typical of a lot of the South American cities, especially in, in the mountains, is this red brick buildings on either side all over. And they just seem to be one on top of the other because it's, it's coming down pretty much straight on the valley wall. <clears throat> so it's just red brick everywhere. Then you come down into the city and you start seeing some more like taller buildings, glass buildings. You can see it's like a, the economical center and also the tourist center. So um, I would probably relate it to um, seeing some parts of Lima, um, even the outskirts of the center of Cusco would be quite similar to it. Um, the road networks here, obviously, being a city, they are they have their um, big dual carriageways going through the middle of the city. But going up from either side of that, you got these small little streets. <clears throat> Most of them are like winding back up into the mountain, which is quite nice. And um, then as you go down towards the south of the city, you start seeing a bit more of the... Um, the colored mountains from the clay and everything that's enveloped around La Paz. Wow. That really is just nestled in there, isn't it? Yeah, it's beautiful. And if you keep going down, you get down towards um, Mayasa and Valle de las Animas, which are small little valleys and stuff just outside the south of La Paz, which are very easy to get there on like a day tour, just take a taxi and go down, which is like really neat thing to do. It's like, you don't need to have a fixed tour. You can just kind of grab a bus and go explore. That's really cool. I've been I've been studying the Google Earth map as we've been talking and it's not too far to the northeast that the mountain the Andes are and then on the opposite side of that it goes from like stark brown and there's a line and then it's just green for the Amazon. It's really cool. Yeah, that's uh you can see it literally going up towards Runabake and Beni and it's just a straight drop down and even going from here to Kuroiko, which is um, at the end of the um, world's most dangerous road, yeah. it's a one-day trip. You bike down the whole thing. You start off right up in the mountains. This time of year, it's usually snowing. You've got like almost frostbite and it's freezing. And then you start going down and it just gets hotter and hotter and hotter until you get into like the real jungle heat. Are there a lot of car commercials filmed there? Um, I would say... There used to be a bit more, but now it's a lot more commercial for um, tours because there's about, uh, must be about 50 different tour um, tour groups that go down there each day. Okay. But um, there's definitely sections around there 
that they would have that they would use a lot. Yeah, it's just unbelievable. They're the roads are just so winding coming down that mountain. Yeah. Something that I found interesting looking at Google Maps is how close La Paz is to Lake Titicaca, which yeah. you typically hear people visiting Peru and trying to make a trip. Looking at this map, it's obvious that if you if your goal is to see this lake, seeing Bolivia and going to La Paz is a much easier option. Absolutely. I mean, you can go from um, from the center of the city to uh, Lake Titicaca in Cochabamba and Copacabana, sorry, in probably like two and a half hours. Wow. Yeah. Is yes. this is a sort of a random question, but does Lake Titicaca drain anywhere, or is it like a sink? No, it's it's enclosing itself. More of the mountains um, around it drain into Lake Titicaca. Oh, that's awesome. Hmm. There aren't and- too many of those. Yeah. So as far as the jungles go, do you have experience going like deep into the Amazon? Um, a few years back, I did a tour down into from Ruanabake, um, which uh, Madidi into the Madidi jungle. It's a reserve there. So you go a few hours in, in boat down the river and then you have to trek through um, the trees until you get into this small little camp. And from there, each day we went out and went different directions. Uh, we went <clears throat> right beside us was a kind of like an enclosed lake that was obviously part of the main river before. So it was quite large oxbow lake. And in the middle of it, they had a small island called Monkey Island. So one of the days we just hopped in one of the canoes and went out there. You're walking around. You got everything. You got like howler monkeys, um, cappuccino monkeys, and uh, spider monkeys and they're all just like crawling around looking down at you wondering what it's like and if you bring some fruit and depending on the day they come down and they can literally just take it out of your hand it was really amazing and the same lake there it's because it's kind of enclosed <coughs> and depending on the rainy season it kind of filters out and back into the into the river you got huge caiman crocodiles um, oh. they got one that was about eight meters we thought it was a um, a felled tree until we saw it moving afterwards. Did you say eight meters? <laughs> eight meters. Yeah, it was absolutely humongous. And we oh, really thought heart. it was a fell tree because it was like, oh, it's kind of sunning itself in the bank. And then we got a bit closer, it just kind of swam off. So we, we went back to camp pretty quickly after that. Yeah, one. that's <laughs> terrifying. A 24 yeah. foot long crocodile. The Amazon is fascinating to me. And I would love to take a trek into it one day. Um, this sounds like La Paz sounds like the perfect jumping off point. I just, that, I, I worry more about my safety in a situation in the jungle than I would in the city of La Paz. Yeah, but, yeah I would as well, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, you have, you have these poisonous snakes and you have, you have to worry about diseases being spread by insects, but there's just something that about the Amazon that calls to me. I've read books about people who have explored it and people who have trekked through it, and I have yet to step into the Amazon myself. It's actually quite amazing because um, you would think it's kind of scary and frightening and it really gets your adrenaline flowing, but when you're there, the only thing you're thinking about is, my gosh, the bloody heat. You're just like sweating in this jungle air, mosquitoes all around you, but luckily there isn't really that much chance of dengue and yellow fever down there. Um, depending on the season, of course. I mean, if there's a problem in Brazil, it kind of usually spreads over, but uh, we haven't had any major problems the last few years. <laughs> and um, in, in these like three, four day tours, you usually like get up bright and early, crack a dawn, have some fruit for breakfast, and then go off with your guide. And these guides are amazing. They've lived there most of their lives, but they've come into the cities to get 
uh, certified and whatnot. And they go back down there and I just absolutely love it because everything we had questions about, they knew the answer immediately. And <laughs> you can find all these insects around. It's like, okay, this one you can eat when you have troubles and you can't find anything. This one you don't touch. Um, I remember it was picking up ants and like eating it and handing it out to us. It was, it was hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's pretty cool. So do you have to worry about like, you know, like jaguars or anything like that? I, I, from what I understand, it's the, the larger animals are not much as much of a concern as the insects, as the, I think it's the fur de lance, which is like one of the most poisonous snakes in the world is in the Amazon jungle. Yeah. Luckily um, down by Ruinabaki and Madidi there, you don't have that many of the, the terribly poisonous animals. I mean, you go out at night hunting for um, tarantulas and stuff and like poking out our nest, which is quite fun and quite scary. Did you say fun? <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, well, we're not doing it. The guys are doing it. So it's quite fun to look at. <laughs> gotcha. But um, uh, then they had the larger animals. They, they usually stay quiet, far away because uh, you're in groups. You're, they're a bit more scared of you because um, they've kind of grown up to know us as the apex predators. So. Uh, and they're few and far between. So when you go out looking for them, they're usually stalking other prey or something like this. And they're looking for smaller animals. They don't, uh, in the Amazon, they don't go down trying to take off like elephants and whatnot like they would do in the Serengeti. Well, did you <laughs> so. see the, the jaguars that are taking out the caiman? Yes. I've seen photos of that. That's Holy quite hilarious. Crap. I mean, like, that scares me a bit. All right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So these jaguars, I've seen videos where these jaguars are, like, sitting on a cliff's edge overlooking a body of water. And they'll just wait for the opportunity, and they will pounce into the water and grab a caiman by its throat. And the strength of these jaguars to then pull these animals out of the water and then oftentimes up into a tree or up the bank again is incredible. The, the amount of strength that you can see in these animals, the, the ferocity, the just predatory instincts, it's remarkable to watch. And um, I imagine very scary if you're, if you're camping out overnight in the, in the Amazon jungle. It's very cool. Yeah, very cool. Yeah, very cool as I sit in my suburban home in the United States and <laughs> very far away from the Amazon jungle. <laughs> Does... I'm going to ask this because my wife is a medical professional with Zika being so prevalent a few years ago. Are there still uh, remnants of the Zika virus in Bolivia, specifically La Paz? Um, to be honest, even while we had the major concerns about it the last few years, I barely heard a, a buzz about it at all. So um, no one I know, even the, the doctors and clinics we work with, they usually let us know if there's anything going on with the, um, the hot topic at the moment. And to be honest, I don't think any of it has really reached La Paz because we're so far up in the mountains, we barely even get mosquitoes up here. Like you, you barely see any bugs around the city because you're so far up in the mountain. And what altitude is La Paz at? It's about 3,500 meters, so okay. a bit over like 11, 12,000 feet. So that's around the same elevation as Cusco? Yeah, it's about um, 500 meters higher, depending okay. on the points. Okay, interesting. Yeah, that was one of the things that Matt had told us about Cusco and Machu Picchu is that the Zika virus typically does not go above, a, I think, like 1,000 meters or 1,500 meters. Well, yeah, the mosquitoes. Yeah, they, yeah. Really make so they generally 
prefer the warmer jungle climates and mm-hmm. they don't really survive so well because once you start going up over about a thousand thousand five hundred the climate changes you get deeper colds you don't get so much humidity so they don't thrive as well okay so so using or, or i'll ask this first when people tend to to visit bolivia do they use la paz as their home base for exploration throughout the country uh yeah definitely um you wouldn't really hear a lot about tourism in cities like uh, Sucre or Cochabamba or even in Santa Cruz. They are lovely cities. They've got all their own little um, <laughs> little hidden gems. But La Paz being kind of the, the capital or one of the capitals, with um, an airport so close to Peru and flights coming from like Chile and Argentina and Peru, it makes it so much more accessible for people. And then having... Um, a lot of the major colleges here as well, most of the professionals that live and work in Bolivia would set up their agencies from here and then branch out to the smaller cities around. So for tourists, I think it's definitely the most multicultural and cosmopolitan city for them to stay in because pretty much all the travelers will come through here. Uh, not so much in the, other, in the other cities like Santa Cruz, Cochabamba and Sucre. People will pass through them but um, they don't really have that kind of ethos for people to say, oh yeah, you go to Bolivia, this is where you go. But uh, for decades now, La Paz has always been like, oh yeah, first stop when you get to Bolivia is stop in La Paz. Okay. okay. And if you could help us out, if a tourist were to travel to La Paz and wants to see the salt mines, which I think is it's probably the most, uh, it's the most well-known attraction in Bolivia, what would be the steps that tourists should take to get to those Um, Easy enough is most of the hostels, hotels, they all have um, either their own agencies, uh, like for example in Loki we have Loki Travel, which is our own um, salespersons that deal with all of the different uh, providers of the tours. So instead of having to run around and like price check everybody, uh, most of the hotels will have a select few that they work with so that they are um, known and trusted. So you can feel a bit more at ease knowing that yeah these people have been working with the company for 10 plus years so we know what their track records like um from there you get all the information the different options available so like as i said you can do one or three day tours on pretty much any agency from uh for a uni salt flats from there you pretty much decide if you're going to take a bus down which would be an overnight bus from La Paz. You leave around seven o'clock at night and then you get to uh, a uni around uh, six, seven the next day. The tour groups, the guides will usually pick you up from the either airport or bus station, bring you to the office, brief you, get you all set, and then you head off in the day. So when you get to La Paz, all the information is already here for you. It's not like you have to jump on a bus and get to a uni and then sort stuff out. You can have it all set paid for and ready before you leave. Um, it takes a lot of the issue of uh, and worry from people's hands once they know that it's all kind of secure and um, they kind of have an itinerary from here. That's perfect. That makes it very easy. That does. Very, very easy. So <laughs> can you describe a little bit of the area around Loki and what people could expect to do in the city while they're you know, waiting to go on their next tour? Yeah, sure. Um, For example, Loki Boutique is about two blocks from the Plaza Murillo, which is the presidential square. So you have the House of Parliament, the presidential palace, and um, a large cathedral right there, which is pretty much 
um, dead center of Bolivia when it comes to road markings. I think all the roads usually have their um, kilometer markings are set from that square. So it is, <laughs> it is a point zero in Bolivia. <laughs> um, from there, another two blocks away, you have San Francisco um, Church on San, is it San Pedro Square. Uh, so it's very easy to see all the history because where we are is kind of the more Spanish colonized side. And then you cross the uh, main avenue, which used to be a river under, running underneath it back in the day. So that was the divide between the two parts of the city. So you can see very clearly in the old buildings, the divide there. Uh, from that main square outside of the um, <coughs> um, outside of the church, most of the tour groups will start there and walk all around the city. So from there, you go up about two blocks. You have the infamous witches market, Mercado Las Brujas, where um, shamans and the witches all have their stores and prepare mesas for traditional uh, traditional ceremonies for businesses, houses, marriages, deaths. Everything is done from there. And uh, of course, as well, from there, as you pass around, you got all the local markets, uh, food markets, drink markets, everything around there. So two blocks away from that is Rodriguez Market, which is all fresh produce out on the streets in a market. It's all over the place. And most of the um, kind of touristy restaurants as well would be dead center La Paz, about two, three blocks from that uh, Plaza San Francisco. All right. So... What I want to get into now is the food. I'm, <laughs> I, South American food is, <clears throat> is awesome. Um, my experience in Peru was great between the coffee and the fresh fruit. It was, it was very different than what we're used to, than our American, what our American palates are used to up here. Can you bring us through some of the Bolivian dishes that someone could expect to enjoy while traveling to Bolivia? Okay. Um, the thing about Bolivia, even though it's so close to Peru, it can be quite vastly different. Okay. Here, it, it is a lot of meat and carbs, but um, like everything's going to have potatoes or chuño, or <laughs> uh, chuño being one of the, the hardened potatoes um, that uh, comes in soups and whatnot. So it's quite dense and hardened. They leave it out in the Altiplano in the snow and for can be years on end. And it becomes kind of this... Um, almost rubbery, dense potato uh, with its own unique taste, which is quite nice. And mote, um, which is like the giant corn that um, they would boil up with a, a few of the, um, the ashes from the fire to give it that distinct kind of um, earthy taste. Um, so those will be served in a lot of the traditional dishes. That's Some a of them giant being, um, corn kernels, right? Yeah, they're like the size of your thumbnail. They're huge. Right. Yeah. Right, right, right. We had them uh, with our guinea pig. They're served with most of things. Yeah, yeah. Well, the kui there is amazing, but we don't yeah. get so much of it here. Yeah. Um, here they do a lot of um, um, dishes, kind of silpancho, which is kind of a uh, flattened, breaded piece of meat that's served, of course, on a big bed of rice and maybe even some potatoes with some um, kind of like pico de gallo kind of spicy sauce made of locotto and onion and some herbs with some lime. Um, so that would be like a small thin uh, pancake of meat that's about the size of your plate. And under that would be a huge mound of rice. <laughs> so that's still pancho, which that is, great. <laughs> it is it's delicious. And it's, uh, it's definitely one of those kind of like boozy lunches. So you can have it before you go out for a few drinks and feel safe for the evening. <laughs> um, <laughs> 
<laughs> then another one would be <laughs> like Irish. she's Irish you're yeah, always right. thinking ahead <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah you gotta look out for the liver <laughs> um another one then would be the um pique la macho so pique macho is a dish as you can tell macho they usually make a giant dish that's for sharing for two three four people with um, so for bob that for himself uh-huh. uh, I, I doubt it i mean it's huge <laughs> <laughs> even when you get a single one it's pretty hard to finish um that will have like pieces of sausage and tomato and peppers and onion and um and then some like beef and chorizo all cooked in a, a beer sauce and then dumped on top of some french fries which is quite nice and then usually you get some like cubes of the local Andean white cheese just kind of like um a hard um salty white cheese which is really nice oh that sounds good yeah. yeah but those 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 are kind of like the um the typical paseño dishes which are like from la paz and then you get um a few things like plato paseño is quite quite simple dishes a few big potatoes with a piece of giant corn and some fried white cheese and uh, a few big halas like um broad beans and it's just like a simple easy plates and quite easy snack. So it's super simple for anyone to prepare. You just dump everything in a pot and boil it and then fry some cheese. All right. Interesting. That sounds awesome. So of those dishes that you've mentioned, which one is your favorite or would you recommend to someone that is not necessarily adventurous with food, but should at least have one of those while in Bolivia? Um, of those, I would even say you could miss them out. They're not the most exciting things. Uh, one of the better ones you could probably look for on the streets would be api and pastel. So api is kind of like this uh, really warm, thick corn and maize drink. Mm-hmm. And it, it's like molten lava. I mean, they'll serve it to you and it'll stay hot forever. So you'll have a sip of it. And it's like, oh, that's not too bad. And you have a gulp of it and it'll burn your inside. So <laughs> it's one of those things you really have to take sip by sip. How do you and spell they serve it? it with, um, api api oh all right simple and pastel is um just a little kind of like pastry with some cheese inside and it's just flash fried and gets this big piece of pastry so you have one with the other usually with a bit of powdered sugar on it and it's a great thing up here in la paz especially for those cold days when you get to like six seven o'clock in the evening the sun's coming down and you're like yeah i need something to warm my hands to warm my soul before i take the trek back home it's definitely one of the things you should try in the evenings and then of course there's salteños which are kind of like um <coughs> uh hand pocket pastries so they're small little things they've got this kind of dense um gummy pastry and inside they've got um like stewed meat either beef or chicken or pork and usually with some eggs and um grape not grape yeah, who was? <laughs> and uh, yeah, so yeah. they're like the stereotypical uh, snack for the morning time. You can find them on pretty much every street corner all over the city and all over the country. All right. And now I have a question when it comes to coffee. I knew it was coming. I knew you it. did. You did. You, did. you <clears throat> have to. Yeah. Because of its relationship to Peru and the Amazon, does Bolivia have what I know it has coffee? What is the quality of that coffee and do you like it? Uh, there's an amazing range of coffees here. You have from like super dirt cheap, just normal grounds to um, some of the cafes here do their own roasted beans that they get from the Amazon. There's an amazing mix. I definitely love it. I'm, I'll have four or five cups of coffee a day without question. 
And um, All right. my favorite thing is to just stop into different little places and see there's um there's a great chain of cafes around here. I think it's called uh, HB. So it's a Hermiante Brothers. They've got three cafes in the city and <laughs> they have their own roasted coffee, loads of pastries and stuff. They also do very nice food that's based off the um, um, what's available around here. So um, if you look, I think one is called HB Bronze is one that they're going to put into like a boutique hotel and cafe. And it's really nice kind of two, three blocks from the presidential palace as well. Okay. And then there's another place called Higher Ground, which is more towards the touristy center uh, owned by an expat as well. But um, yeah, they do amazing coffees. It's one of my favorite things is as soon as a new cafe opens, just to go and actually test how good it is. Yeah. Because <laughs> I can be a bit of a snob at times. I mean, I'll drink <laughs> instant coffee, just a spoonful of it with a, a shot of water in the morning. But um, when I really want to break it, sit down in a cafe and get a nice double espresso and you just can't beat it. Um, then in relation to Peru, I would say they wouldn't be far off par. I mean, it's got okay. some very good quality coffee here. That's that, good. That's every, good. You know, I, I'm not a travel expert by any means, but I do talk to a lot of people about travel on a very regular basis with this podcast. And everything I'm hearing from you on right now is telling me that Bolivia <laughs> is like on track to becoming a very touristy hub, or at least seeing a big increase in tourism over the next few years. So something that, that I read recently was about the travel trends of 2020. And it broke down a few different things like sustainable travel. Um, you know, but one of the points was that people are looking to travel to locations that are off the beaten path. They're tired of going to Paris and seeing the Eiffel Tower. They're tired of seeing the Roman Colosseum. And what younger travelers specifically are looking to do is to find where they can go that nowhere else has really been yet. And not saying that no one else has ever been to Bolivia, but it definitely is one of these locations that are lesser known and that these people can experience things um, that that's harder to research, that not a lot of people have experienced before. And so I'm really curious to follow Bolivia tourism, you know, and see where it heads over the mm -hmm. next, you know, year, two years, five years. It it has it has the food, it has the capability and access to the Amazon. It has a beautiful city. <clears throat> it has the salt flats. It has the coffee. The only thing it doesn't have yet is the notoriety. People just don't seem to know about it. And so I'm curious. I'm very curious to see where where Bolivia ends up in the tourism realm within the next few years. I am too. Yeah, it's got a lot of potential now, um, especially as I mentioned, the smaller cities. They've got a lot of natural beauty and stuff that just hasn't been promoted um, and really gotten out there yet. So as you said, for people looking something for something new, something that hasn't really been explored before, a lot of stuff is popping up now in, in, in Bolivia. Uh, you've got the kind of normal ones, as I said, like the jungle and the, and the salt flats, but um, all the different mountain hikes that are coming around and... Um, different like small villages like Samaipata, which are just kind of small little recluses off by the mountains that have that kind of greenery, but don't have that really, really hot jungle heat. So yeah, something that I, when we were visiting Machu Picchu, something that I kept in mind as I was touring the, that, that city was that it was how much I wished I could have been there before there was this big tourism boom. And I wondered what it was like for the people who were visiting it, decade ago, two decades ago, and we're experiencing it 
completely different than Elliot and I experienced it just this past April. Yeah, we kind and, of felt like cattle. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, it imagine. almost felt like a Disney World attraction where you had to get in line, you had to get your ticket stamped, you go through, this is the entrance, this is the exit, you're, you have a time limit. And I understand why they did that. They have to, because if they don't, then it's going to get destroyed. There's too many people trying to see Machu Picchu, and they need to regulate it. But what it sparks for me was thinking about the places that are still left in the world that have an attraction similar to Machu Picchu or have a culture just as interesting as Peru, but people are not going there yet. And that means that Elliot and I can go there and we can enjoy it in a way that, you know, is, is less influenced by tourism and Western culture. And so, so Bolivia, again, I know, I know I kind of repeating myself, but <laughs> seems to be one of those locations and I'm glad that we're, we're having this conversation. Yeah, 100%. I mean, uh, it's really great to get get that stigma taken away from traveling in Bolivia because a lot of people, I will say, especially North Americans, it's um, we don't see a lot of North Americans like Canadians or Americans down here that often, usually because of um, the restraints on their holidays. They only get one or two weeks a year and they have to like jet off somewhere and everything has to be set. But um, also the, the kind of backpacker uh, adventure feel we've got so many people coming from uh, Europe especially like France uh, loads of Israelis every year a good few British and Irish uh, the Dutch are here all the time um, and then like the Australians and Kiwis are coming up here more and more every year because it's just one of those things it's an easy cheap um, stop off so you can spend a bit more time and relax because usually people coming through like Chile or Peru they're like okay spend a bit more much bit more money than I was anticipating. So you can easily just kind of relax in places like La Paz, or especially if you get down to something like Santa Cruz or Sucre and just kind of chill out for a few days, a few extra days, rather than always having to be on the go. Yeah, that's nice. So yeah, compared to the rest of the world, or compared to the rest of the a bunch of the European nations in Australia, Americans are far less traveled. And it's true that if you ask the average American on the street what they thought of Bolivia, one, I don't know if they would even know where it is or anything about it, but they probably would just assume automatically that it was unsafe because it was in the United States. And, uh, you know, at one time, Bolivia was unsafe, right? And do you have information on, you know, the civil unrest and what caused that stigma to begin with and then kind of give us information on why this is no longer a threat to travelers? Um, yeah, uh, the thing that's happened in the last few years was um, Evo Morales was trying to stay in power as president. There was a referendum and everyone voted against him being able to have an indefinite term and against him running again for the new presidential elections. Um, He went against that anyway and ran for the presidential elections in which um, a lot of people protested on either side. But the major problem was that um, there was a giant fraud allowing him to win outright in the first election. Uh, This caused uproar. Um, The people pretty much blockaded the cities in and out. And once they finally had an investigation into it, there was some violent clashes between the people for um, MAS, which is Movimiento Asociación, which was Evo Morales' party, and pretty much everyone else in the country. So there was a peaceful protest for about 21 days, trying to get it noted that, yes, this was um, fraud. We're not going to accept it. And once it came to be, um, there was some violent clashes. 
a lot of people were saying that um, these people were being paid to cause violent clashes. None of that has really been proven, but um, it was one of those things that as evil fled the country to Mexico, um, it left us without a president, without a stable government, and people were trying to take a bit of advantage of that. Um, his followers still um, advocating that there was no fraud and he is a true president, he should stay there forever. Um, the clashes were all usually centralized to the major cities like Santa Cruz, um, Cochabamba, and La Paz. There wasn't much fear for the tourists, but the problem was um, for safety, of course, because it could have escalated a lot further than it did. Uh, most of the um, embassies and the foreign governments had to advise that the travel was unsafe. Uh, one of the problems was uh, for the, the U.S. Um, websites remained at a level three or four threat level for an extra month, which kind of scared off a lot of tourists. So um, we had a very, very low Christmas season, but uh, because most of the trouble was over by then, it was really nice, quiet. We had about maybe 60 people for Christmas dinner in the hostel. So we all sat down together and had Christmas because it can be quite difficult for people when they're away from home. Um, and it all kind of just slowly got back to normal. It was um, a lot of um, shouting and screaming about nothing. I say that just to kind of to put people at ease, but obviously it was a very important stage and it was a great fight for democracy, um, which seems to be, seems to have worked. Um, but obviously um, the, the oppressors, the people that were in the previous government didn't want that to succeed. So there was a few weeks of, of clashes. Okay. Okay. But nothing major. It wasn't like there were attacks on tourists or it, there was, you know, violence towards tourists. It was just, yeah, okay. It, it, um, I, I was walking between the hostels, which is about a kilometer walk, pretty much every day. There was nothing ever said to me or done to me. And um, the only thing was when the clashes became more violent, it wasn't the wisest idea for um, tourists to be on the streets because they were using um, tear gas to suppress the, the, um, the rioters. So obviously, if you didn't want to be walking around with red face and weepy eyes, it was better to stay off the streets for, for those evenings. But that was generally late in the evening, usually at sundown around 7 or 8 at night. So early in the mornings, people were still able to go out, see the city, go to the supermarkets, go for a coffee, go to the restaurants. Most people tried to keep living a, a normal life. Okay. I, I want to hop back for a quick second and talk about adult beverages because we ended the conversation with coffee on a very <laughs> good note. But one of the awesome things about Peru was the Pisco Sours. Um, not necessarily the wine beer scene was growing, but what kind of uh, liquors, wines, beers does Bolivia have or a signature drink? Um, Bolivia has, um, well, it's definitely up and coming on the drink scene, especially the last few years. They have um, a pisco-like drink called singani so it's um a bit of a stronger flavor but the basis is pretty much the same so um of course they do the singani sour instead of pisco sour which is quite similar and um one of the ones especially here in la paz for the cold in the evening would be te con te which is tea with tea so you get a, a nice kind of um tea with some lemon and um canela uh, cinnamon and <laughs> black tea and then a good shot of Singani. 
and that's kind of kind of like a hot toddy with singani. Yeah, uh, it's quite nice. A really good drink to warm you up in the cold evenings. Um, the beer scene here is growing as well. We see every year there's a few more uh, craft beers coming on. Okay. Uh, one of the ones that's kind of based here in La Paz would be Niebla, which has a variety between like barley wines and stouts and IPAs, lagers, uh, as well as San Miguel, which is um, just down in the south side of the city. They do um, IPA, lager, a, uh, a wheat beer. So they, they try and like really branch out because the bog standard beers here, like the um, Paseña or Cordillera, Real, Autentica, they're all Pilsner based. So it's all Pilsen. So okay. um, all of the, the kind of craft beers have tried to branch out from that and give people better options. The major hit, of course, is definitely IPAs. Everyone goes mad for them. Yeah. <laughs> uh, one of the other great things that happened last year was they released the very first Andean whiskey. So Andean it's, um, whiskey? Yeah, it's um, used uh, from like corn and quinoa and stuff up here in the Andes. And um, it's called Kia, which is K-I-L-L-A. It's, um, it's a really, really nice whiskey. It's quite cheap. I mean, you get a, a good bottle of it for about uh, 18, 19 US dollars. And it's definitely a sipping whiskey, definitely not um, a, a mixing whiskey. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so it's got like a lot of the floral notes and you can definitely taste the culture in it. I'd say it's like as soon as you smell <laughs> it and taste it, he was like, yeah, there's something different about this. So um, that one's a really nice one that the guys have been working on for the last few years. Okay. And before that was um, released, they had a, a moonshine, which is pretty much the unaged version of the whiskey. Okay. And you bartended for a while at Loki, didn't you? Uh, yeah, I was, um, I was working in bars for most of my life in Ireland. Um, when I came out here managing the bar in Loki, um, I, there was a box on it, you know, rum and coke, uncap a beer but um lucky boutique gave me the opportunity to create some cocktails and put a bit more um oomph back onto the menu that's now, cool how does the whiskey in bolivia fare to the infamous irish whiskey um if i was to go to a bar now and they had jemison and skia i would probably be hard to go in between the two it's a very good whiskey. Okay. Um, I will stay true to say that Jameson is the best all-rounder. You can mix it with Coke and whatever, uh, just have it with ginger ale or even a little bit <clears throat> a little bit of water. But um, for a sipping whiskey, Kia is definitely up there, especially for the price range it's in. Awesome. Right. And then one more question in terms of logistics of traveling to Bolivia. Is there a – this is going to be a two-part question. Is there <laughs> a specific time of year – that is better to travel to Bolivia. And with that, are there any major events like national events in Bolivia that would be fun to attend as a tourist? Um, I would generally say around this time of year is kind of perfect because um, as you all know of the Carnival in, in Brazil, they also have Carnival here in, in Bolivia which is in all of the major cities. So they've got these uh, giant entradas, which is uh, thousands and thousands of people dancing in brightly co colored um, <clears throat> dresses and uniforms. And each of the dances are different. They all tell a story historically. So uh, the major one is in Oruro. So Oruro, small city um, down south, and it just kind of blows up for the whole week. Uh, it gets completely booked out. I think there's thousands upon thousands upon thousands of dancers that go from 
about seven o'clock in the morning until two o'clock at night going through this massive parade. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. And um, as I said, this time is kind of perfect to go to uh, salt flats in a uni as you get the, um, you get the benefit of having both the perspective photos and the mirrored photos. Um, probably March is a little bit calmer around here. Um, then April, May can be ups and downs, but I'd say from like May until September, the weather is probably the best and you have, um, the best mix of, um, travelers because pretty much the whole world round has summertime off. So you get all the college students, uh, even teachers that are taking a break from classes. They don't want to take um, a local holiday in case their students see them. You get groups of teachers coming out. You get everyone, especially June, July, August is probably the most fun and the best eclectic mix of people. Awesome. Okay. <clears throat> well, Alan, in, in closing, uh, we're about the at, at the hour mark here. If you could, so to speak, sell Bolivia to our guests in maybe just a few sentences, what would you say to them to attract them and, and um, confirm to them that Bolivia not only is safe to travel to, but there's a lot to do and the experiences that they'll get there uh, would be very valuable uh, to their travel, to their overall travel resume? Um, pretty much to say you can go from the depths of the jungle to the 6,000 points, uh, 6,000 meter points of Illimani and everything in between. You've got the food culture, which is blooming now. You've got all this new drink cultures between the whiskeys, the wines, the, the gins that they're making now. Um, I think one of the, the local restaurants owner is even moving to uh, America. They're opening a restaurant to bridge that to get people into um, Bolivian cuisine. Uh, the people are some of the nicest you'll ever meet. They're the most friendly. They're just like Peruvians, but I think even they'll go out of your, their way to help you. Even if they don't know the answer, they'll try and find someone that does. It's, um, it's a real kind of community feel down here. As I said, from that community feel right up to the best and cheapest um, tours available. Beautifully said. I know you, you, Elliot and I are hooked and uh, yep. we really appreciate your time today. Before you jump off though, can you just share your social media pages where people can book accommodations with you and any other, any other project or, or information you'd like to share? Uh, yeah. Um, to find us in the hostels directly, we're in Peru, Bolivia and Argentina. It's just lokihostel.com. That's L-O-K-I hostel.com. Uh, on the page, you have links to all of our social medias, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. And uh, from there, you can pretty much see everything that's going on and any of the new projects we have coming up. Perfect. Wonderful. Well, Alan, thank you very much for coming on the show today. Again, we learned a ton about Bolivia, a country that just an hour ago I knew close to nothing about. So yeah. <clears throat> really appreciate your time today. No, it was a pleasure. Thank you, guys. So when are we going to Bolivia? Dude. I don't know. We, we need to figure it out now. I know. So we both fell in love with South America when we were in Peru, right? I know yeah. that. And we've just been talking about how we can go back and when we can go back since we've been there. Um, now, we both were throwing around Argentina. We were throwing around Colombia. But now Bolivia just got thrown into the mix. Yeah. And there's just so many options. The culture is just so fascinating. And I really like what we learned about Bolivia today in that it is still not a very touristy destination. And, and it's completely affordable. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So 
it, it's definitely high on the list, especially with South America travel, South American travel. So I don't know, man. We'll, we'll have to figure it out. Our, our yeah. bucket list is growing, and these destinations that we have planned is just growing longer and longer. And It's like every week we have a new destination, and we right. only get to travel once a year. Uh, yeah. It's hard. It's very that's, hard. That's what we need to figure out. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So the trivia question for Alan is, what sweet treat does Alan recommend to try in La Paz? So if you got that, if you remember what it is, shoot us an email or shoot us a direct message on Instagram and you will have an opportunity to receive one of our Traveler's Blueprint stickers and a shout out on Instagram. Also, please give us some ratings on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you're listening. Follow us on all our social media pages and just reach out to us. We appreciate your time. We appreciate you as a fan. Thank you for listening. 